Here's Chavinko. Lovely ball through towards Altidore. Altidore! Toronto FC's big acquisitions combine to tie the game. Josie Altidore. The Two Solid Dude Soccer Podcast with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Laramie. The award-winning soccer podcast that covers every single aspect of Canadian soccer. And now, without further ado, here's Dwayne Rollins. Welcome to the Two Solitudes. I'm Dwayne Rollins. I'm not a very happy Dwayne Rollins right now because as I was recording the Two Solitudes podcast uh, today, Kevin, as you can attest, Kevin Lermay joins me as always from Montreal. Uh, the news of the Bell and uh, Larry uh, Tannenbaum uh, partnership to own the Toronto Argonauts, thus paving the way, as all the reports are saying, for the CFL team to move in and destroy BMO Field. It is a terrible news for the soccer community who has continued to be ignored and continue to have their pleas about having, respecting the integrity of the playing surface uh, completely ignored because, I don't know, $50 million as opposed to a billion dollars, which has been sent on CFL infrastructure over the past few years, was spent on soccer in 2006. So uh, soccer gets screwed so it, Bell and Tannenbaum can lose a whole bunch of money on the Toronto Argonauts, which I've gone from wanting to see find their own stadium and succeed on their own accord to just wanting to fold. Screw them. Screw the Argos. I'm done with them. Any soccer fan should be done with them too. They haven't respected anything to do with the soccer perspective of this from the get-go. They've ignored the fact that there's legitimate concerns here. And now they're going to squat in BMO Field, crap all over the field, destroy it, probably force field turf back in, and away we go. I am not overreacting. This is disgusting, and if you don't like it as much as I do, you should walk the hell away from TFC like I'm considering doing right now. At any rate, Kevin, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. It's sun is shining. It's 30 degrees here, and uh, yeah, uh, it's a pretty good day. Undefeated weekend in Montreal professional soccer for the first time ever. Both the big club, the Impact, and the Baby Blues, TFC Montreal, had a victory Impressive victory in the Impact's case, and uh, just happy for the USL team to finally get a result. Has, like you said earlier, in our first one that we recorded that we had to scrap because of that uh, Argos and BMO news. Well, uh, it was a great weekend for Montreal soccer. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, we do congratulate FC Montreal and the young kids there, and you know that could be the last grass pitch in Canada soon enough at uh, <laughs> Saputo Stadium if if the CFL people get their way and get to paint pretty little white glitter all over the soccer field and blow our views out of the way we've been over all of the issues you all understand them if you're listening to my podcast right now you clearly get it i am legitimately angry right now as you might be able to tell like i'm furious because this i feel so disrespected as you know whatever role i have in the soccer community which is limited to really just talking at you half the time but whatever role i do have i feel completely disrespected and i feel like i have to speak for people that feel angry and just feel ignored I, I didn't want the Argos to fold. I, I do now because that seems to be the only way that they can get it through their damn head that these two sports do not work together in this country without artificial turf. And we all understand the issues with turf and, appro- and attracting high-end players and all that sort of stuff. So if you're listening to this from Vancouver or from Montreal or from wherever and you want to be trolly about this, stop it. This is one of two facilities in this country right now which can host – you know, which has a legitimate uh, world-class grasp facility right now. Can hold FIFA really... claims. Like, uh, uh, legitimately, in the CONCACAF or FIFA rules, right now there's only two stadium, and eventually only going to be one left that you can host those type of games legitimately. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, as we've talked about many times on the women's side, and we are going to talk about the Women's World Cup in this podcast too, I, coincidentally enough, I guess. But, um, you know, there is provisions there, but we saw how much we went through with that. We saw how much resistance there was to that. And now you're staring down the possibility of having this forced partnership, which could put this grass pitch in jeopardy. And I think does put this grass pitch in jeopardy. I don't think the technology exists right now in 2015 for the two sports to coexist together with a natural surface. And that is our issue. Yes, we don't want lines all over the pitch either, but for this, if any CFL people are listening to this, that's not the main issue. And you keep getting that in your head and you paint it as this frivolous thing. It's not frivolous. It's about the possibility of having the pitch torn to shit on a Thursday and then having to play a game four days later or something like that. And Imagine believe- if it rains between the two of them too. That's the worst Yeah. Part. 
And I don't believe for a second that they're going to do anything. I don't have any trust at all in that ownership to do anything to be respectful of the integrity of the pitch. There is no evidence whatsoever that they ever have been. So why would they start now? They're just looking at this as, as some kind of ability to squeeze a couple pennies out. And, you know, if there are CFL people listening, as I've written before, it's not going to fix the Argos. There's not going to be massive tailgates at Beemo Field. The liquor laws aren't changing because of this. It's a miserable cold place at the best of times that has only been saved by the fact that it has been set up specifically for soccer. That's why the soccer community has sort of embraced it is because it has been set up. It's too big. It's going to be massive for you anyway. You only have 4,000 season ticket holders. So good friggin' luck, guys. I hope you fold. I'm done. I'm done trying to be nice about this, Kevin. I really am. And this, I'm legitimately angry, and I probably should shut up, but that's where I'm at right now. Uh, anyway. Is there a way that they're going to, like, because uh, we know that they start playing, what, a couple, couple of weeks from now, right? A couple, uh, couple months ago, is, but Canada Day is the beginning of the season, usually. Yeah, 2016 is when this will happen. They're going to okay. tear out the one end and push the end zones back. So that are, they say that they're going to put sliders on the on the stands so they'll be close for the soccer and back for that. And I have a feeling that's not going to work, and it won't quite be as all you know, sunshine and lollipops as they're making it out to be when when it's done. Um, you know, we get a canopy out of this. Yay. We get a South End uh, beer stands behind the stand. So it's like slightly quicker to pay $15.75 for a beer at BMO Field now. Yay us. Joy to the fans. Anyway, details. We'll get into – I'll stop ranting now and I'll give you the details of the news as we know it now. Like I said, the sale has gone through. Two-thirds of MLSE have agreed to purchase uh, the Toronto Argonauts. One-third of MLSE, that being Rogers, um, want no part of this. There's our money-losing proposition that it, Tannenbaum and Bell are going to lose their damn shirt on this, so whatever. So it's not really MLSE that owns it. It's sort of this quasi-ownership group, uh, which suggests to me that they're not going to have any increased revenue streams in that stadium for the CFL, which just defeats the purpose. They still need their own stadium at any rate. Um, I assume that they have negotiated something with David Braley, the current owner of the of the Toronto Argonauts, along with the uh, BC Lions, to have uh, this ownership group or whatever. The, the money has been worked out. So it's not probably going to cost the taxpayer, quote unquote, anything here in Toronto for it. Uh, that's always been MLSE's position that they need Braley and the CFL to take care of it. So I don't know whether Tannenbaum's throwing his own money in or whatever. Who cares? It doesn't matter. It's not going to cost me any more money that way. Um, what they're suggesting is the deal could go through as early as tomorrow and it will go in effect to allow the renovations to take place so that the Argos can kick off their season. Uh, next year so uh i have paid for my season tickets this year um that is probably the last time i'm paying them sent to them until that team is out of there and i i think that if you feel the same about me you need to call your ticket rec right now and say i'll come back as soon as you make it a soccer stadium and respect the integrity of the sport again because why would they ever change their thinking if they don't if you don't speak up to now i i i we need to stand up. If you're a fan of this team, if you're a fan of the sport, and again, this is not just a TFC thing. This is a Canadian soccer thing. Uh, you need to speak up. And the only way that uh, that these folks will listen is with their wallet. And one-third did listen and has listened to all these concerns, right? Had we not made as much noise as we made over the years, I have a feeling that that uh, Rogers would have went, I don't know, but they probably would have went along with it. But I think they understand. And that's always been what's been spoken of behind the scenes is that Rogers has understood that the TFC fans are going to be pissed. And their TFC fans are a pain in their damn ass sometimes because say what you want about TFC fans and about soccer fans, they're organized. And they are going to fight back until such point as they've been worn down to nothing. So my final thought on this, and I will continue to follow this story, obviously. Um, hopefully no one listens to this that is important because I'm going to try and get into the press conference when they announce this. And if they hear this, they might not let me in. But, uh, so don't tell anyone. Um <laughs> At any rate, I will continue to follow this, and uh, we will probably uh, update it and get sound and all that sort of stuff on Two Solitudes uh, when some of these announcements become official. And hopefully uh, we can at least get, if not me, then at least somebody on the soccer side of things could get some questions to them that makes them make them at least address and respect the concerns that the soccer community has on this issue. Kevin, let's put this aside for now because it has been a, a decent week for the Canadian side, although there's some bad news in the injury front on TFC, but uh, for Montreal, certainly with the 4-1 win over Salt Lake, um, you know, for those of us that uh, that like to watch Chad Barrett score goals against the Vancouver Whitecaps, it was a good weekend. Um, 
Uh, there's a Voyager's Cup game on Wednesday. Uh, TFC got a good result there, although Josie Altstar went down with injury. We're going to talk about all of that. Uh, we have Stephen Sandor on the line. That's an interview we recorded before we knew about this news. Uh, so he's talking about the V Cup and about the Women's World Cup. We're going to talk a bit about the Women's World Cup as well. Uh, lots of good stuff. So uh, I'm going to take a quick break, calm down a little bit here, and uh, then, um, then we'll go from there. All right, Kevin? Absolutely. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Stephen Sandor joins us on the line from Edmonton. Stephen, how are you today? I'm doing – I've had better days, but I'm, I'm doing all right. It, it, Stephen's a little under the weather, so we, we do thank him for his time today. Uh, but we needed to talk to someone in Edmonton. They came so close, oh so close to pulling the, uh, the complete upset up in Edmonton in the first leg of the Voyager's Cup last Wednesday. Of course, the first leg was supposed to be in Edmonton, but it was snowed out. We promised we won't make any snow jokes today, Stephen. Uh, but uh, I guess I just did, didn't I? Anyway, uh, do you think that allowing that late goal by uh, – for the Whitecaps was was something that really really hurt Edmonton's chances of advancing in this with, out of the second leg. Yeah, I'll just say that making a snow joke in Canada is like making fun of air. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, the second leg, I, I I don't think giving up a late goal or what have you matters that much in the grand scheme of things. I think that this team, you know, honestly, one nothing or one one, as long as you get that road goal, doesn't make a huge amount of difference. The only score that really burns Edmonton now is one nil to Vancouver. Otherwise, really, it doesn't change the landscape very much. Let's face it, when Edmonton's playing, there's not going to be a nil nil. Uh, there's there's no way that Wednesday's going to be nil nil, and you wouldn't bet anything against nil nil being the score on Wednesday, uh, judging by the way FC Edmonton has played this year, which has been absolutely inverse to how they've played every other season. Uh, this is a team that is now built on offense, uh, built on scoring a lot of goals, and they give up a lot of goals. I mean, they lead NESL by a mile in uh, goals against, which I think at the start of the season would have stunned everybody with the experience and the players on their back line. But And considering Edmonton's history is one of, being one of the best defensive teams in the league, but they score goals in bunches. And I think you look at the, at the records of, of up, how they did up top, scoring six against Ottawa in their two games, scoring very quickly on the road against Vancouver, albeit on a terrible mistake by Gershon Kofi. But still – creating enough offensive pressure to make to not really make you believe that Vancouver was just going to be able to to press 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 without feeling anything on the counterattack. So it's 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 really hard to see that Edmonton can not do anything but approach Wednesday's game as a game that they have to win and that they've got to score goals in because I think the only way that they do uh go forward is by scoring goals because I think they'll give up some to, to look at it from a from a full perspective, including the Vancouver perspective of this, do you anticipate that the Whitecaps are going to sort of approach the second leg the same way they did the first, with a very mixed, bordering on younger lineup, uh, maybe not as much attention to winning this, and with Edmonton maybe providing a bit more uh, focus on on this as as a need to win situation? Do you anticipate that kind of approach? Uh, you know, I, I I look back at how they approached Toronto FC last year. And they did stick, you know, they were fairly consistent with a young lineup. I do think there might be a little more pressure because, you know, losing to another MLS team in the cup doesn't carry the same sort of embarrassment or sting as it would losing to an NASL team. Because obviously if Edmonton gets the result tomorrow, you know, NASL.com will have about 25 stories about it within an hour. (laughs) Uh, and every team's website will in NASL will be triumphing this. You know, this isn't sort of like 
MLS for Montreal, where you still had MLS teams, you know, Toronto or Vancouver, who were still sort of cheering for Club America. <laughs> uh, you know, NASL, they're all behind Edmonton. You have every market NASL who are going to be watching this game tomorrow, especially after last season and how they felt about it. Just like a lot of Edmonton fans and Ottawa fans cheer for the NASL teams in the U.S. Open Cup. There's a lot more unity amongst the league, I think, in NASL that once the teams go out there and are playing MLS. Uh, so you have a lot of pressure there. And uh, I, I think the Whitecaps will feel a little bit of that pressure. Um, there is a bit of league honor on the line as well. Uh, it's, it's not the same as playing t- Toronto or Montreal. Uh, you you that you have that uh, you have that feeling that that yeah the smaller team could beat you, uh, and uh, it would be it'd be an embarrassing moment for the club. Just as it was, it's, it's you know no doubt about it. In a FC Edmonton short history, this is the biggest game they've had in their club history. This is. Uh, this is everything to play for for them. There's no doubt that they've prioritized this competition over the league, and they are uh, going go, going at it full bore. And I think, uh, despite the, the the loss on Sunday, you look at FC Edmonton's record at home. Uh, they beat Montreal at home last year. Uh, this is a team that is uh, very, very as a as a rule, very, very difficult to beat at Clark Stadium. You mentioned the league a little bit. They lost last weekend. How is the beginning of the season for the Eddies, and how are they? Uh, how did they fare in their first couple of away games? Because uh, we all know that they have a weird schedule. The beginning of the season, that spring season, they play a lot on the road. How is their beginning of the season? Well, they've they've be, they've played almost. They've only played two road games, and they've lost them both handily. Like lost to Jacksonville three one, and lost to New York four two. Um, they uh, their only real road win was in the was in. Their, their road successes have all come in the cup where they went to Ottawa and won uh, 3-1 and where they went to BC place and got the draw. Um, this is a team, as I said, that has confounded everybody in the sense that, let's face it, you go into any FC Edmonton season since this team came into NASL and you looked at the roster and you went, wow, they're going to be really tough to score on, which has generally held true. And they're always one or two in NASL and goals against. But they get a lot of 1-1 draws or nil-nil draws because they have a hard time scoring. Now they're at the top of the charts in both goals against and goals for. They play end-to-end. They're, they're easily, and, I, and I, I count all three MLS teams, if, in terms of entertainment, they are now the most entertaining team to watch in Canada. Uh, they, for, for, re, for, for all those reasons. I mean, their games are end-to-end. Uh, their games, uh, you looked at even the San Antonio game on Sunday. Yes, they rested a bunch of regulars uh, preparing for the Voyagers Cup. But that game, you were it was like watching at points a pickup game in the way the teams were just going at each other and not waiting or, or waiting for help in any way. They were just going end to end. And it's the way that Edmonton games have gone. Edmonton's had a huge problem this year with with giving up goals early in games. Uh, four times this year they've given up goals after within the first 90 seconds. Once in the Cup to Ottawa and three times in the league. They gave a goal as early as 12 seconds. They've given up one, I think, at 56, a minute 11, and a minute 25, if, if, if my memory serves me correct, in four different games. They start games very, 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 very poorly. Uh, then they build into games because of their fitness level. Edmonton's team speed is, creates all sorts of problems on the counterattack. And you look at a couple of players on that counterattacking system – uh, you you watch Lance Lang, and I think even if you watched him on Wednesday in in in, uh, in Vancouver, you watch him regularly in ASL, and you wonder what the heck he's doing in this league. Uh, you wonder why Lance Lang, because honestly, as a left winger, as a pure left footed player, in my opinion, Lance Lang starts on about fifteen MLS teams. Maybe not in every one, but on about fifteen of them. Uh, you know, and I, I think I I just I, you just watch him play, and you think. What kind of talent? And I mean, now Edmonton, we're going to have to deal probably without him for a long period of time if he goes to the Copa America and then to the Gold Cup with Jamaica. Mm-hmm. You know, Edmonton might lose him for as many as eight games. So that would be a killer blow for them. But it doesn't affect Wednesday's game. And if, if Vancouver can't shut down the wings, which is Niassi and Lang, who've been exceptionally, exceptionally potent for FC Edmonton this year, they're going to have all sorts of problems. 
because Edmonton loves to stretch stretch the field width-wise, get you out towards the touch lines and say, "All right, we're going to turn this into a race. We're going to we're going to we're going to turn this into a track meet on you." And if you're not willing to keep up with Lang and Niassi for 90 minutes, you're going to have problems because we're going to get behind the fullbacks. And in Tommy Amiobi, Edmonton finally developed a true target man who is deadly on the crosses. What I'm wondering, Stephen, is that there seems to be so much on the line for Edmonton tomorrow night. What if it ends tomorrow night? Is there going to be a Voyager's Cup hangover? And if they do win, what after the tournament? It's, that's what I'm wondering. Is it going to be a hangover problem like we saw in the Montreal the last couple of weeks? I don't, I don't think you'd have a hangover simply because they're the underdog. And they're still going to be the underdog coming. I think it, there's a hangover if you're the favorite or if you really feel that you've blown it. Um, you know, I, I certainly think if Edmonton scored like two goals early and go up two nothing at halftime and somehow lose or you know ends up two two or three two for Vancouver, then you would have a hangover. But if Vancouver comes out and and scores a couple of early goals, I think people will say, okay, Vancouver has flexed their muscles. They're the MLS team. Really, the NASL team had nothing to lose. I think I think that's a little bit different. Uh, you know, I. I think then it doesn't become an issue of a hangover. It becomes an issue of some deeper issues with with, with Edmonton as a club that they've had all year. Uh, honestly, I, I I do think that that they're going to look at their spring season as a major disappointment, simply because of as I said, the goals conceded have, have really hurt them in the standings. I mean, this is a team that I think everyone expected to challenge the Cosmos, Tampa Bay, Minnesota to be in that top echelon of teams in the league, and they just haven't done it. Uh, and that's because, surprisingly, of the goals they've given up. So I, I, I don't, but I don't think losing to Vancouver, if it, if it's not in some kind of Drew Fishery mind blowing ninety sixth minute fashion, which I can't see happening, uh, then I don't see a hangover. Stephen, I want to take it to a little more of a general question, and I am curious about what your perspective is on this split season. We're a couple years into it now. Uh, the imbalance between the fall and the spring, is it working? Is there a chance that we'll see a revival of it uh, for next year, or do you think that they might tweak it a little bit uh, so it's a bit more balanced moving forward? It's one of those things that the marketing people love and the coaches hate. You talk to all the coaches in the league, and they're just like, we don't mind taking July off. And no one minds taking July off. This is, this, I, I think there's two debates here, taking July off and a split season. I think if they took July off like a summer break and just resumed the standings as they were, all the coaches would be happy because no one wants to play in July. Uh, it's too hot to play soccer, especially in the southern United States. Crowds go way down because – Fans don't like to go out to sporting events in July. It's been proven by study after study that they've done and by attendance numbers. Edmonton's attendance numbers in September and October are much better than they are in the summer because people go away on the weekends. And you know that idea, the, you know that, that super fan that we, we hear about who skips his buddy's wedding because his team has a game? Well, the reason we talk about that guy is because he's the only guy. Like when you have weddings and the cottage to go to, you go to the weddings and you go to the cottage, right? Like we're not idiots that way. Like we're Canadians and especially in the northern part of the United States as well. Our summers are enjoyed by getting out there and sometimes soccer is a hindrance and we have to, to, to expect that. And, you know, honestly, it's, a, it's, it's something that MLS should look at because I think the July thing is just – it's just terrible for fans. And, and really some of the worst games you see in MLS too are in July, the nil-nil draws where it's too hot to play. It's, a hot, it's 95 degrees out or Fahrenheit or 30-some Celsius. The teams can't run. Um, it, it is just paralyzingly bad soccer. And that apart from being the, the split season – and again, there's two different arguments here. I think the July break is fantastic, and I totally endorse it. Everyone needs some time off from soccer. It's a sport that our fans are exposed to 12 months of the year, which is too much because the European season overlaps North American season. We all need a break. Um, and I think giving us a month in North America where we don't have soccer allows us to sort of come back in fresh and not have that sort of, all right, you know, i I got to watch my team again this weekend because we all need a break from it. Uh, the second thing being, though, is I don't know about the split season. So the coaches don't love it. Uh, and I can tell you, Colin Miller, whenever he talks about it, he doesn't look at it as a spring season. He just says, we got to be there in the final four at the end with the four teams that make the postseason. NASL rule, don't use the term playoffs. I get in trouble for using the term playoffs. Uh, the, the, they, 
but whatever way you get to the postseason is fine. And he looks at it as a big picture that if you just finish in that overall setup in the top four, you're going to be fine. And the spring season is a time you work out some of the kinks and you find out what's what's up with your club. And and you know I am unsure about awarding a home field advantage to one of the teams based on ten games, uh, when a lot of teams are are still finding their footing and still sort of establishing what they need. And you know two thirds of the season is still to be played. Fair fair enough. I think we're on the same wavelength there. Uh, Stephen, uh, speaking of soccer that's going to happen in the summer, of course, it's going to be a very busy summer for Canadians this year with the Women's World Cup taking part and taking place in, in your backyard. What is the excitement level in Edmonton right now with that World Cup almost uh, almost right there on the horizon? It's building, but I, I wish I could say it was, was more. Um, uh, I, I certainly, amongst the soccer community, it, it's, it's being talked about. It's a, a massive deal. But I don't know if the public at large are as excited about it. I, I find something strange. Um, you know, Edmonton is known as the festival city that once May hits, there's usually massive festivals that happen. I'm surprised that the city didn't do some things to sort of hold off and tell some of the festivals to, can you sort of stay off of June and July, delay, maybe go May or later July, August, just to sort of clear the decks uh, for the Women's World Cup. And they didn't. And I find like, you know, for example, the the Women's World Cup opener is going to go the same time as the Pride Parade, which is a big deal here in Edmonton, does really well. They're going head to head against each other. Uh, a couple of other big festivals are going going up against it on the Saturday, Sunday. There will be competition for eyeballs, which, again, you know, in the soccer, we've always said it's a problem when even the minor soccer teams are playing uh, and they're playing at the same time as the, the big tournaments and not taking the days off. That part concerns me. Uh, I know that as of a week and a half ago, they said they'd sold 30 – it was over 30,000 seats for the opener. Um, you know, uh, And they're saying that's very good. They, they, they feel that's on their way to sell out. That number makes me nervous uh, with you know less than a month left that they're, they're, they're going to sell it out or not. Uh, obviously, I think it's a, a, it would be a huge PR blow to Canada if there are large sections of empty seats at Commonwealth Stadium. Uh, you know they're not going to film them or anything, but if they're there uh, for the opening game, uh, I think that would be a, a real problem. Uh, and 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 I, I think going back uh, and and I have to remind everyone that you know every empty seat for that opener, if there is, are those are a huge vote against for us getting the World Cup in 2026. I keep getting back to that, but everyone will be watching us on that. And if we don't do don't do our part to support that. It really hurts Canada's credibility for a bid. So we'll 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 see how it goes. Um, I still think there is Edmonton is is a city again, and I think it's like every Canadian city. The challenges of 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 doing things in the summer, of having any kind of major events in the summer, when so many of us in Canada, because our summers are so short, like to get away, like to go away to the mountains here. If you're in Alberta, if you go away to the lake, if you're in Ontario. Things tend to not interfere with that because that's part of our ritual as being Canadians because, our, again, our summers are so short. We tend to not like that. I mean, uh, I, uh, I think the first weekend game might be because it's a weekend game. And then, uh, and then, but I think the other games will be, be okay because they're on, on the weeknights. But as well, I, I think one thing that's going to come in real favor, I mean, the Canadian fans are not going to like to hear this, but I think one thing that will help fill out the stadium in, in Edmonton will be the Chinese community. I think that you will see more than your fair share of the road fans, road slash home fans that we tend to see, shall I say, uh, uh, commonplace at Canadian games. And I think that that will be a big part of part of the atmosphere as well. All right. Uh, well, we'll watch that with uh, watch that carefully and hopefully maybe get you on Steve before or during the uh, Women's World Cup on our coverage there. But uh, in the meantime, uh, why don't you tell the listeners how they can read your work, Stephen? Uh Plastic Pitches Hour a magazine. Dwayne has contributed to it in the past, and uh, uh, our sixth issue will come out right after the Women's World Cup, so we're holding it our summer issue back just a little bit, so you get the app through the Apple Store, Google Play. You can also subscribe through our Shopify store if you'd rather just have copies of the mag emailed to you. We're, we're happy to do that, uh, as well uh, as our my website, the11.ca, and then uh, you can watch me on FC Edmonton Broadcasts on City TV. For our, most of our home matches Sunday, on Sundays, uh, when we're during the NASL season. 
Hashtag Canada for FC Edmonton outside of BC, of course. Mm-hmm. All right, Stephen. We'll see. You. We'll talk soon. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen. You're listening to the Two Solitude Sucker Podcast with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Laramie. You can reach the guys on Twitter at 24th Minute and at Kev Laramie. Email twosolitudespodcast at gmail.com. Subscribe to the show on Stitcher, iTunes, Feedburner, Bay Player. Yeah, listen to the show. Now listen to us flow. Yeah, now the hospitality. That's how we do. Now back to the show. And welcome back. Thanks to Stephen for joining us in calmer times this morning. Um, I, I'm uh, taking a uh, vow now to not talk about Toronto Argonauts or TFC again for the rest of this podcast, but we will follow that up later. Well, um, well, I, we're going to talk about TFC results in the Canadian Review, Dwayne. Well, that's fine. It's a 1-1 one, one draw. It's fine. Um, I, I went in and I pet the cat. Um, the cat made me calm me down a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I, I poured myself a glass of, uh, of Diet Pepsi. Uh, I'll, let, I'll let the listener's imagination uh, decide whether there's like six ounces of rum in it or something. You can go from there. Um, Is it we'll Diet see. Pepsi and rum or rum and Diet Pepsi? That's the question. Yeah, no. It's just – it's straight. It's straight. You can decide again. I'll let the listener imagine whether it's straight Pepsi or straight rum. Uh, why is the rum always gone? <laughs> Where, who ate all the rum? Who drank all the rum? You drunk bastard. You drunk bastard. You drank all the rum. Okay. This is going to be a fun show today, guys. Um, that's where to start here. Uh, Kevin, uh, you should know. With, uh, with Steven Sandor talking about the attendance with uh, Edmonton and all that, we spoke off air too about uh, the late attendance for soccer games in Canada lately. And we both agree, like 30000 for the game and it's Canada? Yeah, some of the higher-ups are say it's it's a good way. We're on the way to a sellout, but I think I'm on. I have to agree with Steven Sandor. I'm kind of worried about it. Yeah, thirty thousand seats sold for the Women's World Cup opener uh, with Canada involved is a little scary, uh, particularly if if like Stephen mentioned that a lot of those tickets may have been sold to the Chinese community. So I, I'm not too sure whether they're the marketing push is working. Now we are. We're not that far away now. We're it's we're less like a than month. a month. It's like less no, than a month. Less than a month. It's June sixth. Uh, so it's like three weeks away. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I would have expected a bit more, but then again, I we were talking about this off air. I haven't seen a lot of promotion for it, and and I haven't seen a lot of promotion on TV. There's the commercial, sure, but a lot of people in this PBR generation are just flipping through commercials if they have cable at all, right? Yeah. Um, I can only speak to the markets that I've been in. I've been in Montreal and I've been in Toronto in the the last little while in the GTA, the greater GTA. Um, I've seen the odd hint that the Women's Women's World Cup is in Canada here in Toronto. And uh, I didn't think I saw much other than the countdown clock in Montreal. You can speak to that a bit more later. Um, But there's far more indication that the Pan Ams are coming, which makes sense because they're in Toronto. But there's not any banners or any – there's a billboard I guess somewhere down there and I saw like a Coca-Cola promotion with Christine Sinclair's image. Uh, but I'm seeing banner ads but I'm seeing more banner ads picking up uh, like reading my IP and, and giving me you know our city versus man city ads that I'm seeing about the Women's World Cup at this particular time. So I don't know. Kevin, are you seeing much hint that Montreal is a host city right now? Yes, I'm starting to see some in the metro for the last week and a half. Sp- Basically, every station has a billboard saying, uh, it's easy to miss a metro, but you shouldn't miss the Women's World Cup this, this summer. So there is some advertising that's been really pushed in the last 10 days, I would say, especially in the public transport area. It's on buses right now. It's on some uh, panels close to highways. So there is some adverse advertisement right now with the Women's World Cup in Montreal, I have to say. But it's been, like you said, when you were here for the word, for, uh, the word no, for the CONCACAF Champions League, they were not out yet. It's been like about 10 days. Okay, fair enough. And at the impact games, is there any indication of the impact? Like, are they trying to yes, sell up? Yes, there's some boards uh, with the numerical boards. There's some ads. There's some people trying to sell tickets at the impact game in the rotunda or in the the areas surrounding the stadium as well. There is some events, and there's some events every week leading up to the games itself to get to the promote and to talk about it. But it seems like it doesn't get picked up nationally. That seems to be the, the problem. Locally, I think there's some push being made by the media team that are locals to where 
every oh city in Canada. There's a local communication department that's trying to get the word out locally, but nationally, that's where I think that's a problem is. I think that somehow uh, we're a little skewed by memories of 1999, which is now a long ways ago, right? Like a long time ago, that big summer, you know, the the girls of the summer of 99, the U.S. with you know the sports bra and all Brandy that sort Chastain. of jazz. Yeah, the, the fact stadium. that I remember her name in 2015 is only because of it was a great sporting accomplishment. Yeah, absolutely, and the iconic <laughs> image of her sitting there, which yeah. is a uh, it's not a sexualized image for the record, folks. It's it's a, an iconic. Like, why shouldn't she rip her shirt off and celebrate like the men? At any rate, that's a side. Uh, but the point I'm making sure, is that those sure. stadiums were full that summer, and there was a great momentum behind that. But if you look at even uh, the next time, the, of course, the 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 SARS uh, Women's World Cup, which got moved, and uh, that's essentially uh, why Canada was bumped up a cycle to host and why it's now instead of four years ago uh, was because of that uh, that SARS World Cup, which ended up being relocated to the United States. The attendance wasn't anywhere near as good that time. So maybe we have a skewed view and a, an unrealistic expectation of sellouts everywhere. We just sort of thought maybe that here in Canada, which does tend to get behind big events, uh, that there would be a you know, more more ticket sales. And maybe that will come around. Maybe it will be a momentum thing. I'm trying to remember back to the days leading into the 2007 uh, FIFA U20s uh, back in 2007, like I said, and, and whether there was a great deal of excitement around then. It's hard to remember because TFC was starting and there was a lot of hype around there and how much did TFC and the excitement around that help the attendance around here and just well, build the up. Thing the thing is, I, what I remember from that tournament, when, uh, sorry to, for interrupt, but in 2007, what I remember, it, there's not a lot of hype in those tournaments, but the crowd, because it's a nationalistic crowd example that all the Argentinians from Montreal or the surrounding area even from Toronto would have traveled down for that game that day and that's the excitement that is and the different communities there is an excitement example in the French community in Montreal they are excited for that game and for that quarterfinal if France can make it there there'll be a huge French contingent because every Frenchman that are in 8 hour drives area are going to travel down to, to be at that game but, but but that's where there's a a big difference in the women's side it seems that they're trying to go mainstream with the, the coverage and trying to get the people in the stadium and I, I have a feeling it might not work yeah you speak to something which is not a Canadian issue or universal anywhere is that there is just it's it's improved, I think. There is a greater understanding, particularly among European countries, of, of the women's game and supporting the women's game. But certainly, there's not the same history of, of traveling support uh, for uh, you know the expat communities, right? So mm-hmm. you know, St- Stephen mentioned that that in Edmonton, that maybe the Chinese community, because they're playing out there, might help to fill that stadium up. But are they really going to travel around a long way? I'm not sure. And and it, it's it's a touchy subject to talk about because I know that a lot of women's uh, Soccer fans are very proud of their sport and they, they want it to succeed and and sometimes they can misinterpret when you're pointing out this de- – not deficiency but this this difference in between that and the men's game and how people support the men's game. They may take that to mean that you're bashing it, which I'm not. I'm saying that this is just the reality of it and, and I wonder whether there are enough uh, domestic soccer fans in Canada to fill this out. I, I think that this tournament right now – I, I do think that they will find a way to fill the stadium for the first game. Um, I, I think that they will, whether they're d- deeply discounting tickets at the end or whether they're giving away tickets at the end. I think that that first game will be full for Canada. And I think from that point forward, it really depends on how well Canada does, how much momentum this tournament gets, uh, which is a dangerous proposition because I yeah. think most people that listen to me know know what my feeling is on on the Canadian women's true chances in this tournament. We'll see. Hopefully I'm wrong, but we'll see. Um you know, that's dangerous to try and rely on that. I think the mere fact that they're still trying to sell tickets three weeks out is reflective of the interest level. Uh, I, you know, will it grow momentum? Once it's on TV, and I, I like I said, and, and this speaks to the media thing, they go back a step. You know, the fact that, and this is maybe where we're seeing, and outside of Toronto, you're not going to hear what I say, but this might be reflective of the fact that there's no games in Toronto, and not having the games in the major media center of the country might be influencing some of the ways the games are, there's, event is being promoted by by media right and a lot of marketing relies upon mainstream media talking about events in the lead up to build that excitement and because there are so many media members in toronto that that just aren't paying attention to it because it's not here and you know that's just reflective of the market and you may not like that but it's the reality in any any country in the world where the major media market is going to look at its own stuff more than the stuff in, in the hinterland so to speak so 
that could be playing a role as well. And I know I just pissed everyone off by calling it the hinterland, but I was just being a bit flippant in my language there, so I apologize. But uh, anyway, I don't know, Kevin. Uh, I hope it works out. We all do. Does it work? Does 26, like is, does Steven say, do you, do you think it really does affect the 26 bit if they don't sell the stadiums out? Yes and no, because I think FIFA themselves know that the men's game at uh, the World Cup level is totally a different beast than what the women's World Cup is. Uh, just the fact that people from all over the world will travel for the men's World Cup, no matter where it is, no matter what time difference, no matter how much it costs, people will get there. The women's World Cup, I don't know. Uh, I, it might be, but we'll see. This. It's kind of like a test this summer for the Women's World Cup too. It's been a, it's like the first one in, of the information age of the technology, social media age that is going to be that popular. So it's going to be interesting. It, it's almost a, a, a test in itself. And I know the American fans are traveling in big numbers. The true, Winnipeg true. hotels have been have been closed for a long time, and and I, I think those games are pretty close to sold out now if they're not already. So certainly, I suspect the American games will be a uh, uh, well attended. Um, you know, Canada. When it comes to Canada and soccer, there is a, a history that frustrates a lot of us here the, of not necessarily jumping behind the national team, although it's a little different on the women's side, uh, particularly after uh, the experience in London. So hopefully uh, we, we will see it, see people get behind it there. Um, last thought, and Kevin and I were talking a bit about this off air. It's the ticket prices, whether they've been priced to reflect the market appropriately. And this is a delicate question again because you don't want to devalue – uh, a property by underpricing the tickets, but at the same time, if they're not selling out instantly, and it's a World Cup, you'd think that they should. Then you have to question whether they've been overpriced, and they are expensive. Um, we're talking seventy dollars in some cases for for tickets that aren't the best. Uh, when we're talking about the one game that I looked at in Montreal, so I don't know. Like, I that's not a price that necessarily, particularly in markets like Montreal, like Toronto. Which is not in Toronto, but the GTA people traveling Vancouver, where they're already spending a lot of money on their MLS tickets over the course of the year, they might be reluctant to to drop another three, four, five hundred dollars on on Women's World Cup tickets. No, and the one thing I've heard about the tickets, the one thing that keeps coming over and over again is the price of the ticket and how unaffordable they are. Well, soccer fan in general want to go there, want to support their team, but some of them just can't afford them and. The packages were quite expensive at the beginning, and now the single the season well, the single tickets are not that affordable either. You talk about if you want to be just a supporter, you can't get a ticket for just twenty bucks, and I think that's a shame. That's uh, that's what you should be for. This should be more open to a general public. It seems like with the price of tickets, it's actually weeding people out instead of weeding people in. Yeah, and and to be clear, I think it's an important distinction to make that it's it's not necessarily it's not at all the CSA that's setting the ticket prices. No, There's sure. it's FIFA that's controlling all that end of things. So uh, they're looking at the market and they're ma- basing their determination on that. So uh, you know, before you get the sack, the CSA T-shirts out. Uh, remember that. Um, that's let's move away from that. We'll obviously the you know quickly uh, you're going to find most of our women's World Cup coverage on Five Rings. Uh, in the next months ahead, uh, that's where Kevin and I are going to channel that type of coverage for uh, the Women's World Cup for the Pan Ams, obviously a different different topic, but uh, that will be what Five Rings is this summer. Uh, if you want to listen to Gold Cup coverage, that will be over here. That's the, how we're going to split up that. So, uh, yeah, we're being a little sneaky making you download Five Rings, but uh, I think it fits better for there anyway. So moving yeah, on. Yeah, because um, then we can talk about other countries without really feeling bad about it. Exactly. Briefly, uh, I wanted to – speaking of attendance, uh, yes. we're going to talk about, about the impacts result and uh, the on-the-field stuff in a minute. But a little troubling. Uh, about 12,000 again uh, showed up and that's a couple weeks in a row. Uh, you're, in the market, Montre- you're in the market of Montreal, Kevin. Do, do you have any theories on what's happening there, why people aren't showing up to the MLS games? Yes, I think it's because, yes, the CONCACAF Champions League was a great event. It filled the big go with 60,000 people and everything. But season tickets and tickets from Major League Soccer are starting to be sold at the end of a season. And usually you start to sell them in the season prior. Last year, the Impact did not start selling tickets until way past the end of the season. They re-changed their marketing and focus and advertising of their season tickets the way they approach it. So they started to sell them further 
in the calendar year. And I think it's one of the reasons why the attendance right now are a little lower than it used to because over the years, they had two or three months more to push those season tickets while the team was playing good on the field. Remember a couple of years ago, they were qualified for the playoff. They sold more tickets then than they did last year. It's the exact opposite. That's why last year they pushed back those season tickets so that the results wouldn't affect them as much. But we do see it now that it did affect them. But in my opinion, it's just the time period that you did not sell tickets that is affecting the attendance as well. Possibly, yeah. It, it's it's look, you got to be careful when you're talking about attendance because people will get defensive about it, and it's not what the intention of this discussion is. It is a legitimate mm-hmm. issue right now. No, it's exactly. Being... That, that that's why I wanted to bring up the fact that they started to sell the tickets later in that calendar year. Yeah, and and certainly, you know, every market. Uh, tends to support winners more than more than losers, right? And Montreal, without a doubt, uh, objectively speaking, last year was a losing team. So that does make a challenge there. And certainly, objectively seen, speaking, this year it's a losing team. So far, although they won this week, and we'll talk about that in our next segment. Um, yeah, I mean, and we've seen it here in Toronto as well. The tickets uh, dive when when they haven't uh, done well, uh, although. You know, I think there's just a bigger population base here too, and you got to factor that in, Torontonians mm-hmm. that are listening. That you know, there might be we might get more of an average. Even when TFC was bad, you were still getting seventeen, eighteen thousand people at that game. And I do believe the numbers that are announced. And I don't want to get into this argument now, but yeah. people, some people doubt them, but I don't. I see how many people are in the concourse. I see how many people are in the beer halls. I know how that crowd works and what it looks like and all that sort of jazz. So even seventeen, eighteen thousand, but you're talking about a market that's two maybe three times as big right so there's just more more people to draw from so don't don't uh, take it as some kind of toronto brag here when i talk about montreal struggles i we all hope in the canadian soccer community i don't think any of us want the these markets to struggle because we need them all there for the the overall growth of the game you're right and it's a combination too when i think of the start game the start time of the games too uh both games in major league soccer the last two weeks start on saturday at 4 p.m well, when it's one of the first Saturdays where it's hot and nice outside. And like we listened to Steven earlier, us Canadians, when it gets nice outside in the weekend, it's cottage time, it's country time, it's get out of the city or get on a boat to do something outside. So there is that aspect that comes to play when a game is at 4 p.m., which is not necessarily the case when it's at 7 or 8 p.m. on a Saturday. Yeah, and I know that when I've had conversations with Montreal folks about the attendance issues and in fairness, the Montreal folks that talk to me about the attendance aren't being defensive. They are understanding me for what I'm, what I'm worth and not seeing me as trolling them here. So that I want to put that out there. There's no negative here. Um, they've always pointed to the start times and that Montreal would very much, Montreal fans very much prefer evening start times and feel like that the even start eight times before they prefer eight than seven as much because it gives you more time to get to the stadium, especially if it's a weekend, a week game. Yeah. Yeah, I I know that they prefer it here too. I mean, we've just given up in Toronto on a lot of things, as I talked about off the top. So uh, just trying to get anything that we want seems to be like pulling teeth. But uh, yeah, TSN controls a lot of the schedule uh, in terms of when they choose to play them. And the, the teams in the MLS prioritize getting the, the games on national TV and a national broadcaster or prominence to uh, local start times and a lot of issues. Now, Montreal has more flexibility with that because uh, – uh, RDS, I think, is a little more flexible. And uh, the, does RDS play most of their games? They do, don't they? RDS and TVS play, yeah, both of them. Yeah, yeah. so I think there's a little more flexibility there. Um, there's less games on National TSN. And uh, National TSN, if you look at the YCAP start times, uh, they're late to us, but they're early for them, right? So yes. uh, that's TV in a nutshell. And uh, they try and avoid competing against the CFL in the summer and hockey in, in the spring and fall. So uh, that's where we're at. All right, um, that's uh, – Briefly, Kevin, we talked about the V Cup with uh, with Stephen. Uh, we've been pretty long already with my Argos rant, so uh, just we'll get your predictions. I know you said last week that uh, you thought that FC Edmonton would pull the upset uh, before the tie even started. Uh, has anything changed your mind from them? I have to explain to you my first vision of that game, though. We we're both at BMO Field last week. We we're there to watch the game. Then after it's all said and done, and we're done doing the press conference, mix zone, and I'm done talking to the impact players, I go back to the press box. I opened the door because it was closed. I look up the TV. First of all, I see the empty BMO field. I look up the TV and I see one nothing Edmonton. I just started laughing, laughing by myself in the press box. Somebody else walks in and looks at me like, what? Edmonton scored? I'm like, yep. And then we just watched the game until they throw us out. I got to the hotel, watched it until the 84th minute. And then I stopped watching, started recording my show. 
And eventually, I learned that Vancouver scored, but it was still a great moment. Yeah, it was an entertaining game, actually, and uh, Edmonton seemed to run out of gas at the end, uh, which makes sense. I mean, you're defending a lot uh, when you're the underdog. Uh, they really put a lot of effort in it. 1-1 one, one is a good result. It really depends to me, Kevin, on if Carl Robinson doesn't put his full lineup out there, if he chooses to sort of half-ass it again, for lack of a better way to put it, you better put the warning on this one on iTunes, by the way. <laughs> I've been swearing a lot. Um, if he decides to half-ass it, then uh, yeah, I think Edmonton's going to win it. Uh, they're not a bad team in the MLS level between the as we talked about many times before if you look at the bottom half of an MLS lineup and the top half of, a, of an NASL lineup they're not that different so if they don't put their stars out there if they don't try and take this seriously Edmonton's a difficult place to play it means more to them I think I you know they could win now whether the Cascadia loss this week for uh for the Whitecaps will make them more motivated. I don't know. That's something you'd have to be inside their head to understand, but we'll see. It's tomorrow. We'll, uh, Kevin and I were looked into doing some uh, rabble thing, but we're not sure we're going to be able to do that yet, Kevin, are we? Uh, no, not yet. Eventually, it will be possible to do from different locations, but right now you have to be physically together unless you uh, have a couple of technical devices that I don't have yet. All right, so don't listen to Rabble.com tomorrow because we won't be there. All right. <laughs> but eventually <laughs> we're looking about doing some commentating or some calling of some games or just having some fun with it. So uh, who knows? You can look for that maybe in the future. And I'm sure I'll be on Twitter during the game. So you can follow me at the 24th minute, not the 24th minute, at 24th minute. You know what my candle is by now, don't you, folks? All right, let's take a break. <laughs> The Canadian Review on the Two Solitudes Soccer Podcast. Don't the hours go shorter as the days go by? And welcome back to the Two Solitudes Toronto Argonauts Podcast. So what do you think of the secondary this year, Kevin? I think the secondary might be a little questionable, so as is the tertiary, and so as is the quarterback. Basically, I think Toronto Argonauts as a whole team is questionable. Yeah, it really comes down to the offensive line. It's, it's That's all it always comes down to is how, how good your offensive line is, and I think that the Argos are just going to be... Uh, is is Doug Flutie still yeah. the quarterback? I don't know. Yeah, it's it's the old guy. Um, I actually I do know the sport, so I could actually do one if I really wanted to. But at this point in time, zero. You know what's to give on that one, so we'll just move on. Uh, NASL uh, this week, Kevin. Uh, Ottawa had a bye. Uh, Edmonton, as uh, Stephen said, was focusing a little bit more on preparing for the second leg of the Voices Cup. They lost three two to Canada's other team or Toronto's other team anyway, San Antonio. Uh, you know. I think that speaks. And that last question I asked of Steven about how they approach it certainly does seem to be that they just look at it like a full season in four playoff spots. That's just pretty much what he said Colin Miller does. Um, you know, again, he likes the July break. I have to look at the attendance numbers, and maybe I'll do that when I'm done this show today to, to have a better idea of whether there truly is a dip in attendance in July in MLS. Uh, but certainly I, the spring season idea versus fall spring, to give a playoff spot, play in postseason, whatever – for a guy that the team that leads after ten games, it just seems like anti-competitive to me in a lot of ways. Seems like a seems like a like a like a bonus. Seems like an uh, okay. You were nice at the beginning of the season. We'll give you this, and then let's see who's the actual best team. Yeah, I'm, I'm, we're predating you, Kevin. But uh, the the Montreal Expos, the one time they did make the playoffs, the famous Rick Mundy home run. Three, yes. Yeah, that that was a split season because it was a strike involved and. Uh, so they kind of worked in there, and it was the same thing. The Expos won the short sprint to make to, to capture the second wild card spot or whatever they called it at the time, and then they won the division series to get into the NLCS, which they eventually lost to the LA Dodgers. We're talking about lots of other sports. Hey, if you want to go as far as that, the last time the not instead of this year, but Montreal Canadiens won the Eastern Conference regular season while it was a lockout year too. Yes, there you go. We need lockouts in this country then, I guess. Let's bring a lockout. To- no, no, no. Just yeah, it's the last time the Leafs made the playoffs, too. Oh, there God. you go. Playoffs. Something's Remember, like, two months ago, what we were talking about, like, those type of stuff? Yeah, exactly. All right. Um, Canadian review. Yeah. Uh, quickly, uh, the PDL started. There's lots of Canadian teams in the PDL. You're going to see most of our PDL coverage, and we're still debating on how what kind of level we're going to give to it. We'll be on USL Radio because it's USL property, and I think the interest people that are interested in that stuff are already over there anyway. Um, 
You know what I mean? So uh, I think you're going to find it there. But I did want to mention that there's lots of Canadian PDL teams, London, Thunder Bay. You know, there's one in Toronto now, uh, Kitchener-Waterloo. These are the ones just in, in Ontario that I'm talking about. There's others around the country. So uh, by all means, get out and support your local teams, wherever they are. And uh, that started up this week. Uh, TFC is actually playing right now as we speak. Um, let's move on. Talk about the Whitecaps. The Whitecaps uh, lost. Chad, Chad, Chaddy Barrett. King Barrett. Teams. King Barrett. Uh, not the first time he scored again. Not the first time he's scored against the Whitecaps, I'm sure. Um, not the result they were looking for. And I think that this speaks for me, and I've been saying this all along, that although I think the Whitecaps have done quite well and they should be quite proud of the start that they've had and those, you can't take those points off the board, I think this weekend might have been a bit of a reminder that they're not quite at the elite of the elite level yet, that they're, they're still a 3-4-5-6 kind of team in the West. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, that that is an indication of that. Uh, do you not agree? Yeah, but uh, how good is Seattle, too? Seattle's fun to watch. is a, a team that is finding a different type of identity of play this year. And I have to say, I'm quite surprised of how Siggy Smith found a different way for his star players and other players to shine this year. Yeah, I think that if you look at Siggy Schmidt, you look at uh, Bruce Arena and the LA Galaxy, and of course they got spanked by Orlando 4-0, which mm-hmm. was the st- stunning upset of the week. Um, you'll understand that those, those coaches approach MLS season's as if they're in reality, whole, they, approach, yeah. they approach them as a whole and they approach them with the idea that what's most important is to peak at the end, which is why the supporter shield truthers are make no sense sometimes because the teams aren't geared. They aren't set up to win supporter shields. They're set up to try and win the playoffs at the end of the time. Right. So I would take all of these results in the early season with a grain of salt with the one caveat, which I've given before, which speaks back to Vancouver is points on the board in the spring matter. Because they can give you a little lot of leeway when the injuries start to pile up, when the Gold Cup stuff comes in, starts to take your players away. All of these things matter. So, you know, in terms of the result this week, it's just one of 34. Uh, you know, not the greatest result against Edmonton either, as we talked about a minute ago. But for the Whitecaps, there's still a lot of points on the board. They still look pretty solid, especially since we're going to talk about Montreal next uh, and, and Salt, the other side of that equation. It looks like Salt Lake, as I predicted in the preseason, is, is the team that's going to take a bit of a slip back this year. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I, I think the Whitecaps are, are doing much better than should be expected. That's Before we move to Montreal, talk a bit about what we think the Whitecaps are going to do on on Wednesday against FC Edmonton. You know, we talked about what would happen if they, if they did go young. So that's asked in this segment. Do you think they're going to go young? I have a feeling they'll do exactly what they did last year at the exact same stage. They'll take a, a little easy. They'll put their, not their full squad, they'll put some of their regular starters there, but with the, still an emphasis on a younger team or on uh, players that are not getting maybe 90 minutes every single week. So I, there's a chance you see other good players. You know, a couple of those players are injured right now. Like you talk about Aduk Bekpe and those type of players. But uh, it'll be interesting to see what Robinson puts on the table. But like you said, if history, you got to take it for what it is. And I think Vancouver is going to take it a little too lightly and they might be uh, eliminated tomorrow night. Yeah, there's not much evidence to suggest that they're, they aren't going to, to rotate as much as they can. And in fact, they would rotate even more in my mind if they were allowed to. The CSA changed the rules a little bit this year to to force only MLS contracted players to play in this tournament, which you know we debated the pros and cons of that in a previous podcast if you want to look back on it. But that does force Montreal, or sorry, Vancouver uh, to play you know, to at least play the reserve players as opposed to dipping down into their academy players like they did against TFC in some cases uh, Mm -hmm. last year. Um, They probably do still have enough quality on their bench to get past Edmonton, but I think it's just, it's a toss-up game is how I would put it. Uh, I think that the talent level is about similar when you look at the reserve side of things of Vancouver and compare it to the starters of Edmonton, which does set up an interesting dynamic. I, at this point in time, if I were a gambling man, which I have been in the past at times, I would be putting a lot of money on Montreal to overall win this tournament again. They seem to like these tournaments. They seem to know how to play in them. Uh, they seem to care about them more than anyone else. So I, I think the impact are, are probably going to walk away with the Voyager's Cup again. When, three when beat, all- three beat, three beat. <laughs> When all is said and done. So there you go. There's there's Kevin's opinion there. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not biased. Sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's a, when Toronto got a four-peat at one point, it didn't really help. Yeah, uh, true. Very true. Uh, let's move on to Montreal now. Uh, 4-1. What the hell happened there? 
Andres Romero and Piatti decided to give the ball to other players. That's what happened. With Montreal playing a game that it seems the confidence with the ball came back. They were able to control a lot more of the ball. They were able to not do what they want, but they were able to, let's say it for what it is, destroy the midfield of Real Salt Lake and just confuse the defender. And Nick Raimondo, yes, he stopped the penalty like he usually does. Like I called it on uh, CSN as well, too. But uh, he uh, looked foolish on a couple of plays as well. Yeah, I don't want to discount Montreal's win there. Uh, certainly RSL seems to be the rudderless at this moment. They seem to be waiting around for uh, for Plata to come back, uh, which is a player that I don't completely trust, having seen him in Toronto. And I know He's that that's... now. Yeah, I know that. I don't agree with that decision, but I know there are others in this market that listen to this that are very very much in love with uh, Joao. So uh, we'll just leave that well enough alone and see how it plays out. But they do certainly seem like they're just sitting waiting, that they've lost that creative spark. Uh, they're kind of confused in their tactics. They went back to something closer to their similar uh, approach to the past in recent times. But They brought back old veterans from the 2009 and 2011 team to re-sparkle that uh, glory they had before. Like Olave is back in defense, and I don't think that's the answer. Olave is old now. Yeah, it could be a case that when all is said and done that uh, I know we like to do the 1.0, 2.0, 3.0 thing when we're talking about MLS, that uh, RSL could be a team that in a couple of years is viewed as a team that figured out uh, MLS 2.0 but didn't evolve into 3.0 as well as, as they might have could. And they, I think maybe their market size might be catching up with them a little bit too. Uh, we'll have to see, but we're not really talking about them. <laughs> we're talking about Montreal. Uh, again, I mean, when you're talking about 4-1 win, they certainly – you know the. They put everything together. They took advantage of a wounded animal uh, opponent, and they got some three points on the board, and that was vital, I think. Uh, how important is it for the impact to, to – obviously, this is an obvious question, but I guess how likely is it that the impact are going to uh, take advantage of that momentum and move forward and, and start the season fresh now with a full focus on MLS, do you think, Kevin? Oh, I think it's really going to help the fact that – they started to play better as a team and not just individuals having great moments and scoring goals, but now as a team to be able to build almost all of their goals that they did score in the weekend. Uh, the Aduro goal, well, the Romero goal created by Aduro's movement and Piatti was able to pass the ball and create great chances and looks and that came with work. The work rate gave Montreal the win and work rate is Carry you can't carry over work rate because you control that. It's not mixed with intangibles and lucky breaks and a call here and there. Work rate is usually the answer for result in a whole season. And yes, it was the first time we saw it in MLS this season, and it got them three points. Hopefully, it does carry on for their next game. All right, time will tell. There, I don't know if you're hearing the sirens in the background. They're they're coming to take me away from that Argos rant. I think. Um, <laughs> All right, let's quickly go TFC. We've run pretty long today. Uh, I guess the big talking point today, it's been a bad day for TFC fans because between the news that I talked about off the top and uh, the news we got just before that, that Josie Altidore is out for four to five weeks. I said four to six on my Twitter feed. They're saying four to five on in the email that they sent out today. I don't, I don't know. Four to five, four to six. We're not going to argue for a week or two. Yeah, and look, a lot of people want to blame the turf at, at uh, New England, and you know why not go ahead? But certainly we've had a lot of bad luck. Uh, Danny Kuberman's uh, back in 2012 blew his knee out in, in at the turf in on uh, at New England, and that truly was a turf injury. His cleats got caught, and he ripped everything out. I don't know whether that's the case this time. It looked to me like just one of those things. Josie pulled his hamstring, uh, stretching for a ball. Uh, the important thing with a hamstring is to give it the proper rest so the question that's being so it doesn't linger for the rest of the season yeah exactly which is what happened to to Defoe last year so you know the same thing two years in a row and again hamstrings are uh, there's not much you can do about them sometimes they get pulled Uh, that's just it's not I don't think that's your trainer I don't think that's the surface I think it's just luck and yeah I think you're right I think it's just luck or sometimes you you know your angle of your toe is off one second when you're running and this all with the pressure of whatever it pulls something hammies are really tricky like you were saying yeah and I, again the debate it's probably not being talked about now I haven't been on Twitter for a couple hours now because we've been recording for a long time now but uh, we're trying to yeah it's been a long day in front of, the, in front of Skype today uh, but uh, I'm sure that the debate is all about uh, various ways to blow up a CFL team right now or, or a, an MLS team depending on which side of it you come down on 
but before that, a lot of talk was about whether uh, there's hope that the U.S. will keep Altidore out of the Gold Cup roster. And you would hope that Jurgen has the common sense to not force him in a Gold Cup like this. I, it's not really a necessary Gold Cup for the U.S. in a lot of ways. I mean, they like to win every Gold Cup, as any team would, as any country would. But you really, I think it'd be risking uh, Altidore long term to rush him back for the Gold Cup. Yeah. If he's out four to five weeks, that's sort of coming back about the start of it. I would think that the sensible thing to do would be to let him rest during that break as well so that he comes back fully healed rather than to rush it back. The unfortunate thing from a TFC perspective is he's been coming into form. Um, there was a, that stretch during the four-game losing streak on the road where he kind of was invisible a lot, but starting with that game that you were at in Toronto where he was a beast out there that night, mm-hmm. uh, he really has gotten his confidence going, got that uh, another goal uh, the other night there too. So... Uh, Sorry, it was Bradley that got it this past week, but he did get the goal um, against Houston and then scored uh, the the goals against uh, Montreal that night. So the confidence seemed to be rolling. He seemed to be linking up well with Jamenko and Bradley, and it's really just an unfortunate bad luck situation for TFC to lose him at this point. So the key is to not lose him moving forward for a long period of time because that would really be harmful. Uh, Luke Moore... Uh, you know, right DK seems to be gone. I don't know what they're doing with him. He's just not even around. They don't seem to trust Hamilton to put him in even when they bring him up. So it's really lukewarm. Uh, maybe Findlay can come back to his more natural position, but there's just not anywhere. It's a big drop down is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. So it's important to not lose him for a long stretch. or They've already lost him for a longish stretch, but to not lose him for longer than that. Um, Kevin, quickly before we go, in terms of the actual result, uh, you know, I think that was about as much as Toronto could have reason- reasonably expected from the game. A 1-1 draw out of it, a draw point on the road in New England is always going to be decent, particularly decent now that New England is a strong team. Um, I don't know if it was entirely deserved. I thought New England probably had the, the vast majority of the play. Chris Konopka stood in his head. He was the man of the match in my mind. He made a couple really big saves to keep Toronto in it. Uh, Bradley had a moment of, of brilliance to, to do on a long run and finish it off to get that draw. So, and that's TFC in a nutshell. They have, they have a few players that can pull stuff out of their, out of their butt and pull points out of their butt. And that's going to be their key. That is TFC this year. Uh, they are going to survive and hope that their stars can pull stuff out of their butt. And that's three reference to pulling stuff out of your butt. So I'll stop it right there. Question for you. Uh, how long till Bendy? Uh, moves on because Kanupka has been playing great and he's quite a little less heavy on the paycheck. Yeah, you're looking at uh, about $90,000 difference in pay. Um, look, you got to be careful of anointing someone after a couple of weeks. It's essentially how Bendit got the job because Fry got hurt. Yeah, no, true. He, he did enough when he was underpaid to stay. Uh, and so they, they bought him in at a slightly lower contract than, than um, Fry was. Uh, yeah, I. I don't. He is certainly Kanopka has shown enough right now that I would be comfortable if he were the regular starter. He is 30 years old. He's not a kid, uh, so he's been around for a while. He's never had a long stretch where he's played over many, many games in a row. That would be the one thing that I would worry about. The last time he said this in the interview on on TV that the last time that he played a long stretch of games was five years ago, four or five years ago when he was playing in the Irish League, which is hardly a high level of, of football. So that would be my one question. Is he ready to handle a full season's workload? Um, because the drop-off back to Q or to Bono, uh, Bono, pardon me, would be would be yeah, dramatic. Yeah, you know what Bono, you saw his uh, blender in the weekend? Yeah, well, yeah, Bono is, is still a kid and that has improved his game from watching the, the, the TFC2 games. And I've seen a lot of those, but uh, that's more of a USL radio topic. But he's, cer- he's certainly not MLS ready is what I'll say. And Q... I don't know if he's played enough to be anywhere close to MLS ready. I, I suspect we might see Q in the in the Manchester City friendly in the second half. At least I would hope that they would give use that game as a chance to get some of their two kids a run out uh, once once City pulls off their starters whenever they're contractually obligated to be allowed to. So whatever that moment is, is when the TFC two needs to come on and we need to play the reserves. Manchester City reserves against TFC two needs to happen in the second half of that game. Um, all right, the show is over an hour now. Uh, I need to absorb more of this Argos mess. God help us. Write a story on that so you can look on CSN later for that. In the meantime, Kevin, say goodbye. Until USL Radio tomorrow. Well, until then, have a great soccer.